Hello, Stephen. Hello, Erica. We made it through the end of Spearhead from Space. We watched episode four. That's right. The climactic episode of the debut adventure of the third Doctor as played by John Pertwee. And as far as I'm concerned, it's the debut episode of the third Doctor as played by John Pertwee. Yeah, you feel like he like instantly sort of became the doc, the third Doctor that you sort of are familiar with, I suppose. Yeah, it just seemed like his his uh, body language, personality, tone, just everything sort of like clicked into place. And this is where it really, for me, started to feel like this is the third Doctor that I expected to see and that I, you know, kind of knew from episodes that are later than this he's much more demanding and like the uh the moment where the machine doesn't work and he's trying to use it and he's yelling at liz what it does it doesn't work what's wrong with it like you built it dumbass (laughs) like i was just uh, the 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 anger and uh, like the accusatory tone that he uses is i I understand it's like the the heat of battle uh and stuff but like it's i don't know it's struck me as a little like (laughs) flashback to william hartnell and his random acts of anger out of nowhere (laughs) Well, well, the you know, as you say, it's the heat of battle, mm-hmm. but in a way, you know, he's not like patronizing enough to sort of, you know, not trust Liz with it. Like he trusts Liz with yeah. it to be able to fix it as an equal kind of thing. What's wrong with it? If that was like, you know, oh, you don't know, let me come and do it or something like that. You know, mm-hmm. yeah, there's that. I mean, I, I. <sighs> probably were I in his position probably would have maybe backed away from the creepy tank thing to go and you know put both of our heads together and right. work on it um yeah his just his whole posture the way he sort of flips his the cloak around mm-hmm. just if I took notes like there were there were specific things that I that I noticed and uh, because we don't take notes and because it's well after midnight mm-hmm. I don't remember the moments, but I was just like, oh, yep, that's it. That's the third doctor. That's him right there. I think because in the first, well, the first episode, he's not doing much at all, even really actually through half of the second episode too. Um, and then the third episode, he's sort of like in information gathering mode. Mm-hmm. And it's finally in the fourth episode, he's like actually involved in the action and, you know, he's blowing locks off doors and, you know. That was that was another moment the 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 blowing the lock off the door and then when it's open like the way that he sort of gestures everybody in and has this sort of smug um not holier than thou smarter than thou I don't know just like right. this is superior mm-hmm. uh, look on his face as everybody goes past him also we get to see him wrapped up in a tentacle and gurning so that's that's another thing that i think of when i think of john pertwee playing the doctor yeah. i wonder how because that that shot that scene with uh the tentacles attacking him was actually reshot because the director was unhappy with how it turned out in the first place so i'd like to know you know because it's it's a bunch of tentacles and doctor who which is never that good of x but it, at least it was on film and they could sort of edit around it a little bit which you know in studio as probably originally planned it probably wouldn't have looked as good that's true i I mean i think the tentacles themselves were actually pretty well made they had like you know sort of like ribbing along them and then on one one sort of side not that they're sides because they're tubes but there's like a strip of hair kind of like orangish hair kind of growing down like one side of each of them and um pretty organic looking like suckers and so i i I have no problem with the tentacles themselves i I mean 
I don't really have any problem with the doctor being wrapped up in gurning in them either. That's just that's just a thing. It's not my favorite thing to watch. I was bored, but uh, but you know it, it was effective, and I can definitely see people people enjoying that. If you if you like to watch John Pertwee looking real ridiculous, we are literally watching it happen on the DVD menu or Blu-ray menu. Yeah, as it loops around. Yep. Uh, you didn't like the. Um, the look of the actual nesting consciousness in the in the machine either it's a plastic anus it is a sphincter <laughs> and there's green goo around it and it is disgusting looking it's like somebody was like what can we do? let's take a bunch of saran wrap and some pistachio jello pudding and like make it look like there's a there's an anus it's a mm-hmm. it's a butt in a tank <laughs> The nestines. Yeah, yeah, the nestines. Tank anuses. I'm sorry, that's just, I cannot look at it and think of anything else, because that's just, that is what it looks like to me. I don't even know where the tentacles are supposed to attach to anything. It's just, it's just gross. So they shot the battle scenes of this story (laughs) at the same place that they shot the battle scenes of the invasion. And there's even a shot that is almost identical, (laughs) as he steers well away from what you're talking about, uh, to when the Cybermen come out of those two double doors. Instead, this time it's it's Autons. Did you you notice any similarities before I pointed it out to you? Uh, I didn't have time to notice any of them before you pointed it out. But I don't think I I I would have because I haven't seen these stories as many times as you have and I don't have the eye for the same eye for detail yeah. but once you pointed that out I remembered um, I remembered that and yeah I mean whether it was on purpose or not that's kind of cool I mean even just that you know sort of alleyway with the staircase going yeah. up it you you pointed out earlier that it uh, that it was used for the invasion as well and I realized that Man, color changes everything because I just never would have even, you know, the staircase is, is kind of red and the buildings are kind of like a greenish or, you know, mm-hmm. different color. Um, but in black and white, it's just all like you have no idea. I didn't I, I would never have guessed that, that staircase was sort of like a reddish color. I would have just assumed it was metal or painted black or gray or something. Mm-hmm. So. So, yeah, I never would have noticed the the similarities because I was too overawed by the color, which I suppose is what they wanted. I suppose. Although it's, it's funny to think about, you know, like, Oh wow, doctor who's all made in color. And it was all like, a, you know, a, a, took the country by storm, but you know, probably not entirely unlike HD TV, you know, people, it took some people quite a few years to finally actually buy an HD TV or you know, a widescreen TV. I think there were people watching Doctor Who on black and white TVs well into the 1970s. Oh, wow. Probably a lot more than the BBC probably wanted when they were, when they um, started broadcasting it in November of 1969 in color. Yeah, that's true. I wouldn't have I wouldn't have thought about it. So maybe a bunch more people recognized the same set <laughs> yeah. than I did because they were still watching in black and white. Yeah, that's a that's a really good point. I hadn't thought about that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Indeed, a lot of Doctor Who for me, Pertwee era anyway, um, only existed as black and white when I first started watching. Probably you too. I suppose the ones that you well, the, probably on the videotapes maybe that you didn't watch or did you have them on the, tape at all? The Demons was in black and white, I believe. On videotape. Yeah, when I first, kids, you have it so easy watching it on DVD and BritBox and everything like that in, in color. But uh, when I was growing up, Spirit from was in color. But Silurians and Bastards of Death, um, Terror of the Autons, Mind of Evil, The Demons, all in black and white. Five stories. Yeah, and Mind of Evil, I think I've only seen in black and white. It's weird 
and we'll get to this when we watch uh, future stories. It's weird to watch stories that I just equate mm-hmm. as black and white yep. 60 millimeter film transfers and then watching them as they originally were shot. That's, you know, vidfire is one thing. Yeah. <laughs> black and white to color is another. It just mm-hmm. feels kind of wrong in a way. That's probably the way a whole bunch of kids in the UK felt when they yeah. grew up watching it on black and white before their parents had enough money to switch over to a color television. Mm-hmm. So you're getting to experience that very same thing. Yeah, I am. Uh, speaking of kids uh, watching, I don't know, and this is another attempt at a segue that is going to fail. So I'm just going to say <laughs> shop window dummies coming to life and shooting a bunch of people in another iconic sequence in Doctor Who history. Yeah, this this story has some some death and some some blood. Oh, we didn't even mention the the blood on the windshield in the that's previous nice. episode. Like it was, you know, four people with a color television. That's that's blood in Doctor Who for the first time in a way that's like and it was bright bright red. Yeah. Like Technicolor blood. So, so yeah, we didn't have any any actual blood in the sequences with the the dummies mm-hmm. shooting people, but wow, that's yeah, iconic for sure. Yeah, I when I was a, you know, uh, a kid watching this, um, boy, did I eat that up because you know I didn't wasn't used to like awesome stunt work and mm. gun battles and Doctor Who, and I was you know I was in my teens, I was pretty enthused by such things. So when I saw this episode for the first time, I'm thinking, oh my god, there's a guy like falling off his bike, and another guy like does a big stunt roll on the sidewalk, and I was like super impressed by the stunts. Even I was impressed by the stunt roll on the sidewalk. That that stunt guy deserved a round of applause because that was that was pretty impressive. Um, I, you know, I, gun battles are not my most favorite thing, but I find this sequence pretty gripping anyway because of just the the, the sheer horror of these things coming to life and crashing through the windows, and it's just it's it's like something straight out of a, a good horror movie. Mm-hmm. It's. It has that that effect and that feeling. So to me, it didn't feel like a bunch of soldiers shooting at each other. That kind of gun battle. No, this was this was monsters come to life in front of you and just mowing people down. <laughs> it was it was a totally different kind of thing. Yeah, I, you know, and in like the invasion, there was a brief sequence of like people sort of getting knocked out when the cyber invasion begins, mm-hmm. but they're sort of passed out. Uh, and the web of fear, only soldiers get get shot at and killed by the by the yeti no real general public are are at up to this point in doctor who affected at all by any alien invasions like the war machines or anything like that so this is the first time that we see ordinary everyday british people waiting for a bus um all of a sudden these marauding bunch of uh, shop window dummies come and mow them down it's like that sort of is like another direct correlation between aliens are coming and they're coming for you that's true. Yeah. Yep. Of course, now I kind of want to watch Mannequin, <laughs> the movie. Kim Cattrall and uh, Andrew McCarthy, am I getting that right? Uh-huh. Yep. I, there are parts of it that have not aged well, but uh, <laughs> yeah. The uh, gay black designer. Uh, yeah. Mm. However, I still really enjoy that movie. 1980s. Mm-hmm. Also, there's a uh, there's a Christmas made-for-TV movie, I think. Is it called A Mom for Christmas? Uh, the conceit is a, a young girl whose mother has either died or the, her parents split up, wishes or writes to Santa Claus and asks for a mom for Christmas. And uh, a dummy in the shopping mall, played by Olivia Newton-John, 
comes to life what is happening? and falls in love with her dad. What? It is the greatest. What, I love it. What's this movie called? I, it might be called A Mom for Christmas. I'm not sure if that's the title of it, but if you search Christmas movie and Olivia Newton-John, you'll come up with it, and it's great. Maybe we should watch that this uh, this next Christmas. What is she, was she an Auton as well, or? Um, I don't think so. But now you've given. Now I really need to watch it again to see if I can put that in the uh, do, my Doctor Who head canon. She's the she's yeah. the only nice Auton. Well, see, I thought that Yul Brenner was an Auton too, so I wouldn't put it past Olivia Newton John being one as well. Oh, and then we have uh, the amazing Canadian children's show today's special, which took place in a store after hours when there was like a special magic hat that when Jeff the mannequin was wearing the hat, he would come to life. And uh, he had adventures in in the store with Muffy the mouse, and there's a security guard, and Jody, I think, was the name of the the black woman who was his friend or something. Did she wear, I don't even remember. Canadian children's television is, is a weird, weird thing, but... It was it was piped out to the states, so my sister loved that show. I remember it airing, but I, I thought it was very silly and were, never watched it. You were too old for it. I mean, I was even too old for it. Like I said, my sister, who was five years younger, she was the one that watched it more. Muffy the Mouse only spoke in rhymes. It was weird. Yeah, but then I thought uh, original series Star Trek was also silly too. So mm-hmm. <laughs> your, your taste is your taste is suspect. And yet, and yet, Doctor Who is the thing that I latched onto for some odd reason. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, uh, we solved the unit dating controversy. Yeah, it was actually way easier than I thought it was going to be. Uh, here we are at the very beginning, the very outset, and it's quite simple. Um, the mannequins, as you pointed out, Stephen, as yeah. they're coming out, they have price tags on them. Yeah, they do. And they are pre-decimalization mm-hmm. price tags. They're like 84 shillings and no pence or something. I don't know how you say it. Don't get a, Don't at me. Uh but it's obviously pre-decimalization, which happened in 1971, I believe. So obviously this was supposed to be in 1970 or 69 when they shot it. Mm-hmm. So, or, or did they decimalize starting at the very beginning of 1971 or sometime during that year? Sometime during that. I don't know when, okay. what year, what time of year it was. Okay. So then even this could theoretically even be 1971. Yeah. But, uh, but yeah, certainly not 1980-something. No. So I don't know what Sarah Jane Smith is on about. I, in Pyramids of Mars, I proclaim that uh, she was just showing off to Professor Scarman. Um, and to say, you know, because I think, oh, you know what? I 1974 doesn't sound very impressive. I come from 1980. If that one line would be rewritten, we wouldn't have this whole mm-hmm. foo for all. Yeah. I mean,. I love Sarah Jane. Mm-hmm. She's wonderful. She's one of my, my favorite companions ever. Right. But um, are we going to trust something that she says in the heat of the moment? Or are we going to trust our own eyes looking at labels that are clearly like right there in front of our face? It's not the first time that we will see something <laughs> in Doctor Who uh, supposedly in the future be blatantly not of the future. But in fact of the very present day when they were shooting it. So, mm-hmm. you know, sometimes the the doyleist side of me just wins out and stamps down these unit dating controversies. Or this is an alternate Earth where the UK didn't decimalize until 1980 or something. 
possibly. Uh, that was actually Madame Tussauds, though. I believe that they shot at. Believe it or not, I know it was a you know because they all the the Gandhi and the Martin Luther King and JFK and the other U.S. presidents were all there, and then of course they had a display of civil servants <laughs> because Britain. Um, that was of course added for for the for the story, but yeah, that was actually proper Madame Tussauds, I believe. Yeah, those ones looked pretty pretty good. Mm-hmm. I mean, okay, good's the wrong word. Yeah more i don't know ac- i don't know if accurate's the right word either but it just i madame tussauds is a place i would never want to go no not and not because of this story just because in general i think that would be chilling <laughs> just uh, probably literally too because i'm sure they have to keep it cold for the wax uh dummies yeah. but uh but chilling to my soul as well yeah because it's life-size dolls essentially right and <laughs> yeah. you spoke about your horror of dolls last episode yep yeah exactly yeah <laughs> Yeah. Um, what else about this uh, episode? We talked about uh, tentacles and tank anuses and gun battles. Um, Our the saddest villain yeah. um, met his end. He's an auton. Yep. Yeah. He he went back to to having no expression on mm-hmm. his face. Which I don't know is that even sadder or is that less sad? I'm not even sure. Neutral is probably less sad than actual sad. Yeah, sad. Yeah, and Channing gets uh, not Channing. Um, Hibbert gets blown up. Total destruction as well. Total destruction. That is really impressive. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like I, you know, I I would I would not want to be killed by any Doctor Who um, monsters or anything. But like, if you gotta go, like that's a pretty cool looking way. Mm-hmm. The uh, the smoke effects, by the way, that were seen on so many different Auton uh, deaths and stuff, very unsafe these days. Apparently, <laughs> oh. <laughs> yeah, it's that is not a mixture of uh, of smoke powder that would uh, that would pass the safety. Yeah, I re- remember reading that on the production notes when I got the DVD all those years ago. So yeah, just remember watching that that all that smoke's going. No, that's not good. Oh boy! Yeah. Yikes! Wasn't there like a William Hartnell story that had an awful lot of fog in it too? That was. Oh, I don't know. Mm. Maybe are you talking about the fog in um very first episode, the very first shot of the first scene? No, when there's a child. No. No, I don't know what I'm thinking of. Mm. Mm. It's it's too late at night for me to remember things. Yeah, it is too. But um, I hope you enjoyed the story. I really rather enjoy it. It's one of my favorite John Pertwee stories. Actually, Spirit from Space. Yeah. Yeah, it was. I think, I think I in maybe liked it a little more on my first watch, just because it was so surprising mm-hmm. uh, and brand new. And like now, the the sort of newness and excitement, like that, it, that factor has been removed from the equation. So it's still, you know, it's fine. It's right. a nice, it's a nice story. I would, I give it a, a thumbs up. I mean, I love Liz Shaw; she's wonderful. Yeah. Um, and I love the brig. Mm-hmm. Maybe we didn't have quite enough Liz, but I'm, I am interested to see what else is is coming. I'm not I'm not falling in love with this era, but I'm it's fine. It's yeah. it's pretty. Yeah, it's fine. Well, good. Uh, I look forward to it. Um, tomorrow, Saturday, will be um, Doctor Who and the Silurians Day. So, uh, which you've never seen. I don't think so. Okay. Um, I mean, when I was a, a smaller youngin uh it's possible that i you know my mom had it or part of it on at some point when i was Mm -hmm. around but it definitely never was committed to videotape in our home so if i saw it i've not i I don't remember 
Gotcha. I am, you know, I, I don't usually like to warn you or like spoil you on, on details and stuff, but I do feel like I should mention one thing before we start watching this. Oh, wow. What's, what's that? The music. Oh, I've, I have heard about the music. That is the one thing okay. that is, well, not the one thing. That is one of the things that I am aware of that it is known for its music. And I'm putting music in air quotes um, because yeah, it's like a crumb horn or something. One of the most bizarre scores in Doctor Who history by Kerry Blyton, who is, uh, has done a couple of the most bizarre scores in Doctor Who history. I'm not sure he knew what what show he was doing his score for. Um, and it's so, yeah, for, for me, mm-hmm. growing up and watching it for the first time, sometimes the incidental music would be a tiebreaker as to whether I'd like the story or not. And I've often thought less of the Silurians because of the music score. So mm-hmm. I'm doing my best going into this with an open mind as well, knowing that there's going to be some strange kazoo like music for the next seven episodes of Doctor Who. Well, I will... I will brace myself for that. Honestly, I, like, I'm one of the reasons I've been interested to see that story so much <laughs> is in part because it's you know the the genesis of the the Silurians, and I you know I, I kind of know the the broad outlines of that uh, of that story, but also because I have heard so much about the music over the years, and I want to see what it's like. I mean, maybe it'll be another space pirates thing where everybody hates it, but I'm like, oh my god, this is amazing. This is the best Doctor Who soundtrack ever. The look on your face says that that's probably not going to be the case. Probably not. You have an eye for music. An eye for music? That's (laughs) wrong. You have an ear for music, and I feel like it will jump out at you more than other scores, perhaps. Yeah, it... It certainly might. I'm trying to think. Does do? How do I feel about actual kazoos? I don't think I super hate them or anything. But if I have to listen to seven episodes worth of somebody kazooing at me, it might be a little different. Yeah. I guess. I guess we'll find out tomorrow. We're gonna technically today since it's like one a.m. That's true, but it'll it'll happen. Uh, look at that time for bed on my on my. Apple Watch it just came up right now, <laughs> which means it's probably time to wrap up this podcast. We're in, we're in it. We're officially into the uh, John Pertwee era, 1970, mm-hmm. season seven. Um, the ratings for this first serial were were a big hit, uh, which is which is good news for the BBC and was probably you know I don't think Doctor Who was ever that close to being canceled or anything, but I think it was sort of like okay, wow, this new format works. Doctor Who is is back, and we're going to continue it for perhaps several years to come mm-hmm. thanks to 1970s doctor who <laughs> several years to come several several i think they only renewed it like a season at a time it was never like okay this is good spirit from space is good let's renew you for another 16 years or something like that mm. it wasn't like that that's true mm. i do also we just want to have a quick mention of um all of Liz's costumes in this story. Her oh, yeah. her jacket with the weird like plasticky bits on it and the yellow like zip up with a belt around it, mm-hmm. high collared shirt that she's got on underneath. Anyway, she just looks great. I, I love I love her look. Yeah. And very nineteen seventy with the shorter skirts because, mm-hmm. you know, nineteen seventy. Yeah. Well I wear a lot of shorter well in my day i have worn a lot of shorter skirts right i don't do that so much anymore because edmonton's cold but yeah mm-hmm. london ain't too warm either mm. fair yeah anyway all right is that it do we end it on on liz shaw's outfits 
I, I look forward to reaction to other outfits that she wears over the course of the season. I look forward to seeing them. Well, all right then. I look forward to seeing Doctor Who and the Silurians, to give it its proper title, with you on Lazy Doctor Who. <laughs> Goodbye. Goodbye. <laughs>